0: Dan Schaefer is here, Um, Dr. Dan Schaefer is here to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to walk with kids through hard stuff. Um, He's a licensed counselor. Um, He also was a pioneer
1: for Young Life in the Toledo area back in the 70s. So he knows Young Life, he knows kids, but he also knows um, emotional um,
0: issues that kids go through. Give him your attention. Let's give it up for Dan. Thank you. I'm shocked you are here, given that there are other competing seminars going on right this minute. Like, wasn't there one about sex? Okay. I'm shocked you're here. All right, so uh, briefly, I'll give you a one minute bio. I was a, went to a big high school in South Pittsburgh. 600, 700 people in class and the ninth grade was a part of the junior high. So when you went into 10th grade, you were starting all over. And when the first week of class, the captain of the football team asked me to go to something called Camp Painter's. And of course, I said yes, because he was the captain of the
1: football team.
0: So I go to campaigners, grape great donuts. They were talking about God, but it didn't matter because it was at the house the captain of the football team. So that went on for about a year. I didn't learn a thing. Put on a couple pounds. And uh, went to a couple clubs. So I started a campaigner. And then went to a club. And still didn't know Jesus. And then went to a campaigner's weekend in West Virginia. And met Christ there. So it was completely backwards. But God's going to get who he's going to get whenever he wants to do it. And that's all I got here. So I came to, to Bully Green, met Gary Burke, Do you know that name, anybody? Probably not, yeah. He came down and said, do you want to work with kids? And I said, well, yeah, soon. I want to spend my freshman year seeing what else is out there, Navigators, and the Varsity, all these others. It's kind of bored, So we started very Gary Burke my club back in before most of you were born. OK. So. I became a psychologist a couple years later after that, and have been in Northwest Ohio ever since. So I'm glad you're here, because nobody wants to talk about this. There may be some people in the room who have actually had some pretty dark thoughts of their own. But I'm going to direct my thoughts towards the great possibility that if it hasn't happened yet, you're going to be sitting, drinking coffee, you're sitting in a car talking to some kid, who's thinking about ending it, and I want to give you uh, something very concrete in your hands before you go. Now, I'm gonna email this to Brian before I leave. You can have the whole thing, there's references in the back. I don't care if you even give me credit, this is just really valuable information that most people don't want to know. Okay, so here we go. These are the fundamentals of what we're whipping through here today pretty quickly here. Suicide is the main, public health preventable problem, this is preventable, and we look at it as, a, as a, the public health people do, and when you look at all the science indicates that depression is the main driver, so if we get upstream of that, if we're dealing with some de- depression and we can knock that out early, then we're going to solve the suicide problem. Depression and suicide are still misunderstood and often stigmatized. I can remember years ago when people would come into my office that didn't, that didn't know they were coming to my office, like they would run into somebody that they knew in the office. Oh my gosh, it was an exercise in shame and humiliation, you know? And we'd spend the next session talking about, oh, I just ran into my neighbor in your office. Now, you know what happens when they run in? They high-five each other. Hey, how you doing? It's great, people are actually getting help. It's less stigmatized. Now, and this is, gets encouraging, signs are recognizable, and anyone can intervene. And Young Life, I think, is uniquely positioned to make a huge difference in these uh, depressing statistics that I'm about to show you. Are we good so far? Okay. Now, first of all, anybody here ever been in a bad mood? I'm shocked. Did you call yourself believers? Okay. So, what's the difference between bad mood and depression? Well, I'm going to tell you real quick here. Bad moods usually have an identifiable trigger. Girlfriend broke up with me. I didn't make a football team. I got an F in Spanish. Whatever it is, there's a usually an a identifiable trigger. Bad moods usually leave quickly, especially whatever caused it. You know, you get the girl back or whatever it is, you start to feel a little better. Next. They usually don't cause the kind of trouble that a clinical depression will. And this is, let me look at this now. This is what a few people have written about what it's like, in case you're one of those lucky ones that never had a sad moment. Listen, look at that quote. Depression is such cruel punishment. No fevers, no rashes, no blood tests, just the slow erosion of the self, as insidious as any cancer. Getting depressed yet? And, like cancer, It is essentially a solitary experience, a room in hell with only your name on the door. That was written by an author, Martha Manning, uh, a while back. And uh, apparently she sold a lot of books because she nailed it. Here's another person describing it. You can read, six feet tall, water up to my nose, can't move. That's a little bit about what it feels like to be down. When wouldn't you know, I'm not going to turn this into a Bible study, although we could, Scripture is loaded, especially in the Psalms, when the psalmist is in, I think, the throes of depression. I'm not going to read that, but look through Psalm 38. There's a big argument about, oh, is it because he sinned or because he didn't? Sometimes, yeah. Sinning can cause you depressed. But my argument is, most of the time, it's something else, and we need to learn about that. Okay, here it is. The Bible of mental health. Big controversial thing we use DSM four for life Now it's the DSM five. Now in here, it looks a little crooked there, doesn't it? Probably works better that way. And so you don't have to write this down if you want, but these are just the, the if you're sitting with somebody you want to know like gee, meds maybe, or talk to the parents or something, this is how they define it. First, duh feelings of sadness. That's easily. They call it the common cold of mental health. Now think about this, this is a whole, the whole big picture here. You start to lose interest in things, not everything, just the things you normally have interest in. Like if you're a Steelers fan, I'm sure there's a lot of them around here, right? Steelers, anybody? One, two, I'm shocked. God bless you both. So you lose interest in the Steelers. You like calculus, yeah, right, and you lose interest in calculus. That's the second sign, we keep going through these. Feelings of worthlessness, guilt, or shame. You must have been through when some high school student who just said, I just feel like a piece of crap. It's like, it's just a part of who I am. So people left alone will start to get this idea that grows inside them like a cancer, that there's no good thing that resides in them. Fatigue, loss of energy. Any of you ever had the flu? You you know, if you ever had the flu, you feel like going up and running a couple miles after that? That will never happen. You just wipe out. Depression can sometimes feel like the flu. Weight changes. Now, we'd all like to lose some, but th- with depression, it can go either way. One guy told me that food tastes like paper. And after I put on a couple pounds, I said, yeah, I wish food tastes like paper. But it can go either way. You start loading up, or you just nothing tastes. Sleep. I love to sleep great. I hate it when I can't sleep. And a depressed person will have a series of sleepless nights. And you lose your, your brain needs to sleep. Try to stay up for 36 hours <coughs> and see if anybody will talk to you. It's not going to happen. Uh, big word, psychomotor agitation or retardation. You're either restless and moving around all the time or you just can't move. Decreased ability to think or concentrate. Now, now some of you, probably that comes natural. But this, what happens is this makes everything worse. And finally, recurrent thoughts about death or suicide, and that's where we're going in this slide. So what, what they say, technically, what happens here is to get an official diagnosis out of that purple book, you have to have at least five of those. Five of those for the better part uh, of most days for a period of about two weeks. Now, they had to cut it off someplace because... What's the difference between a bad mood and depression? Well, it sticks around, it interferes, and people start to notice. So that's that's the the first part of the program. And here's the big takeaway from today, is if we don't treat that and we don't get at that, we don't get people relationally connected to the depressed person, they run the risk because depression is the leading cause of suicide for all ages. Now some pretty pictures. This is from the Centers of Disease Control. Now, you'll get better copies of these. I'm going to give this to Brian, and he'll get it to you. But You probably can't see this, but 10th leading cause of death in the United States, right here, suicide. Heart disease, cancer, all the big ones. But 10th, 10th leading, that's disturbing. Here we go, something for for us today here. It's the second leading cause of death among 14 to 24-year-olds. Now, that ain't depressing, I don't know what is. So, uh, the first cause is unintentional injuries, driving crazy, or doing whatever. But this is, it's coming up there, it's second. Now, these are general here. Look at that a death by suicide every 12 minutes in the United States. Every day, that'd meet 105 people. they're, they're guessing depressions sometimes in, in a given year can, can affect as high as 20% of us. I think that's a little high, but every time they talk about things, everybody ups the ante a little. But that's even 10% is too high, in my view. And then over here, here it is, 55,000 people per year, ages 15 to 24. That's a lot of peace. And I'd hate to think that some of them are in your clubs, but they might be. So here we go. Another picture. Uh, this was just a smaller study just in the Cleveland area. Sorry, Cuyahoga people. But this is where it came from. And it's just stuff that, that's uh, surprising. It's just startling that any of these rates are that high. They either are thinking about it or made, made an attempt. Now, girls are making twice as many attempts. But for fortunately, uh, they're not as good at it as guys. And uh, good for them. But they think about it probably twice as much. Uh, and there's a little bit of how male, di- this is not just kids, this is everybody in the whole United States, but across, the, across women usually figure it out, you know. I think, my, my, I think these people were in bad marriages, their husbands die, and then they start to feel better. But that's, that's a depressing question. <laughs> okay? So men just keep on going and going. And here's an interesting thing, it's, I don't know if this is going to be helpful or not, but you would think that the big cities are where all the, all the suicide is happening. It's not. It's the small rural communities that have higher rates than New York City and everything else. And I, I don't know what to think about that, but it's, it holds up pretty consistently uh, in the literature. Okay, now, suicide rates have risen sharply across the United States. Um, you probably can't see this color, but if you order, you get but uh, North Dakota. These are increases. It says fifty-seven percent. That does not mean that fifty-seven percent of the people in North Dakota are, have tried to commit suicide. What that means is, whatever the rate was uh, back in the day, it's increased. So if it was, they usually measure these things per one hundred thousand people. So if they had five per one hundred, then it's, it's now it's jumped to ten. So uh, this, where are we in this? Well, North Dakota, Vermont, blah, 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 blah. South Carolina, and that, well, they, they cut it off right there. But the next one is Ohio. That's where we live. And uh, all I'm going to say a little bit at the end, a little bit about the opioid ex- uh, 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 epidemic, but does anybody know anybody? that's? Have you lost anybody because of the opioid epidemic? Anybody? Yeah? Five years ago, it was unheard of. I could say that to a crowd like this, and I say, what do you want And it's rare that somebody doesn't raise the hand. Okay, now. These are some important important things to to mind. I'm gonna give you some some very, very um, concrete tools here in a minute, but uh, I just want you to keep this in mind. I think this is a reasonable assumption that people in suicide, are there fake attempts like attention getting? Yeah, that happens. It's pretty rare. And I think it would be smart for all of us to take every, um, every attempt or every comment really, really seriously. That this person really isn't in a private hell. So, suicide is fueled by profound hopelessness. I, I thought about this uh, the other night. I used to get really bad migraine headaches. Anybody get, get those? Oh, wow. You should maybe have a talk on migraine headaches. <laughs> These things are terrible. Ever ever been with somebody that's a migraine headache? I mean, you can, it, it affects, when I used to get these, I would want no one to talk to me. I would not no one I would not no I don't want anybody to be nice to me. I would get in a room, shut the door, put headphones on, and just sweat the effort to go, and go away. But I can remember thinking, more than once, what if somebody came into the room and said, Shaver, um, you're going to have, this migraine for the rest of your life. That's it. We, we, there's there's no hope for it. That's the first of thought, thought I had. Now they all went away. But I just thought, if I had, if headache pain could get me to think, well, it didn't happen. But if it did, could I last a week? Could I last a month? Those headaches are so terrible. Can talk to migraine sufferers here. Maybe we all go together. I don't know. But when you we were talking to a depressed person and you can imagine some situation where you were in excruciating pain and somebody told you, that's never going away, you might start to be able to connect with this person. Okay, now the idea here is, the reality is, you could be talking to rich kids, poor kids, men, women, inner city, urban, suburban, it doesn't matter. No one is immune. Now, I don't want you to think that every, every kid that you're talking to is on the edge. But it's like these low incidence disorders, one per 100,000. That's a lot of kids. But when it happens, it just wipes everybody out. OK, now, this is really quick. If anybody's studying psychology, they'll give you the history of it. But this is a ridiculously brief history. Most of human history, mental disorders were viewed as a result of demon possession. It happened in the New Testament. Luke okay. um, John nine, the guy was healed from from blindness. They said, "Well, whose sin is this? Is this his sin or his father's sin?" They had all these weird ideas about mental health problems. So people that were afflicted with mental illness would think, "Well, they're unclean. They're treat them like lepers." And uh, we, uh, what would happen is, like the lepers, is that something would happen, and then not only would they be depressed, but they would be by themselves. Great. Read up on Dorothy Dix, she was brilliant. She started to take care of the mentally ill, but that's enough for another day. Here's some interesting statistics that are depressing. Christians who, who suicided were not permitted to be buried in sacred grounds, damaging their family rep for years. Their property could be taken, um, um, leaving family without any means of support. They were buried at the crossroads with a stake in their heart. Oh, that's nice. Really nice gravesite visit. But that's how they used to think about this. This gets better. I know this is really dark, but this gets better. Okay. They call it the common cold of of, uh, mental illness. Uh, There are strong indications that, you know, why do some people get depressed and some people don't? We're not quite sure, but we know that if you have a family history, if you had a depressed parent or a depressed grandparent, and you go back in your family history, that doesn't mean you're absolutely going to wrestle with it on and off, but increases the chances that you might. Now, we won't have time to talk about this, but this is an ACEs study. Uh, I I came up with uh, something uh, childhood experiences, adverse childhood experience scale. And they looked at how much trauma they experienced as kids. Uh, Divorce, family separation, sexual abuse, all, all that other stuff. And they found that they could predict adult depression based on what kind of a... A rough childhood they have. There is some indication that uh, early childhood uh, trauma might even change your brain. The good news is, these relationship stuff, and this contact work, and everything that young young life is about with respect to relationships can be an antidote to all of that. No kidding, it really can. Okay, advances in medicine have resulted in increasingly effective medications with low side effect profiles. I mean, for a Christian back in the day, to be on a medication for for a mood for antidepressant was like the walk of shame. Now, since the medication is so good, lots of people get on six months, eight months, a year, and then they're done. Okay, and, and in the most severe cases, really the most effective is medication and psychotherapy, being in a, in a, in a therapist's office. However. Contact work and the work that you're doing with kids, I'm hoping you're going to put me out of a job someday. This stuff that you're doing and in involving their lives is brilliant. And uh, if the public health were people were really smart, they'd look to you as to how to do things. Okay. Now, I think this is probably true. We don't want to talk about it. Look at the things we talk now. Turn, I don't watch that so much TV, but when I turn on TV and I see some of these programs of what people are talking about, I can't believe the kind of stuff that we're, we're talking about on TV. That's why I don't watch much. However, we do talk about AIDS now, sex, and everything else, but somehow we're still not quite talking about depression or um, suicide. And if we ignore it, then we're going to be clueless when it hits the fan. Um, so on the other hand, if we understand it a little more, then the whole community can get around it and get out ahead of it and do something about it. OK. Yeah. That's not a real, that's not my brain. Because if it was, it would be smaller. You know. But um, we're really thinking anymore that those early experiences can make a difference in a person's brain. And that uh, uh, that then kind of moves forward here. So, here's the summary here. This is, uh, it, it, in some respects, sin is still viewed as a moral failing, just spiritual weakness, inability to cope without, coward's way out, character flaw. So imagine if you're working with a kid and he has been hit by any of that stuff. What do you think the chances of him saying, you know, um, I'm not feeling so hot. I think all of that stuff makes them isolate and never tell anybody, and that's doom. And so, just as a sidebar, I've proposed that when you are working with a kid that's depressed, and it's not a bad mood. I mean, this is really dragging on. What if we viewed that kid as like we would view somebody that had Parkinson's disease? We wouldn't tell him he's an idiot. Or somebody had the flu. Well, you know, I mean, I don't like to be around people with flu because I don't want to get the flu. But generally, if somebody has the flu, do you feel haughty towards them? Do you feel judgmental towards them? Do you you think when somebody has the flu, well, you know, he's got a bad attitude, He's kind of selfish, too. We don't do that with the flu. And I think we should start to look at at depression instead of judging them. I think we should probably look at uh, at it like we do the the, the flu. Okay, now, back in young life. What's a gatekeeper? What's a gatekeeper? A gatekeeper is, they're not mental health people, they're not professionals, they're not necessarily licensed people, they're responsible adults. Now this comes from Dr. Anderson. I just stole this slide from her because she presents this at community mental health centers all around the state. So I stole this slide from her. These are the, the responsible adults in the community, and it looks like that's, I can say that about, well, most of you, I think you look like that. And look at what, what this would include. Teachers, coaches, police officers, EMTs, elder care, all these people, youth group leaders, religious leaders. That's you guys. I mean, this is an incredible opportunity to, to work upstream with all these kids that are struggling and make some kind of connection with them. Contact work, I don't care what you call it, but this human connection to really get involved with these lives makes a huge difference. If I had to choose between medication and that, I'd pick that every day. Okay, so you're the gatekeepers. What do we need to to keep in mind here? First, there's some myths that that keep us kind of quiet about this, but let me go through these. Talking about it might cause a person to act. In fact, the opposite is true. Uh, I have tons of clients out there say, do you ever think about taking your life? Long silence. Yes. Okay, And I'll show you some other questions they ask, too. But there's an unusual relief after I ask the question. I ask the question It's a private thought, and in, in, in the quietness of my office, they admit it. You guys could do the exact same thing. Free of charge, too. OK. Here's another myth: a person who threatens suicide, they, you know, they, they, well, actually, that's false too. If they're threatening them, there's an 80 percent chance that they're going to actually try something. Now, can you be taken for a ride? Yes, but it is rare in general. The safest thing would be to take it very, very seriously. Another myth coming up: only if crazy people kill themselves. Now, I don't know if Robin Williams is crazy or not. I love that guy. I mean, he was a little vulgar and stuff, but I mean, his mind was—he was like hilarious. He took his life. I think he. Did anybody know about that? So he, I think, he had a diagnosis. He might have Parkinson's, or he had some kind of neurological diagnosis. I think that boy. But he had a lot of money, a lot of fame. I mean, the world loved him. You know, he wasn't some strung-out drug addict on the street. So, the idea that only crazy people kill themselves—not true. Most people are completely in touch with reality. Where are we? Another one coming, hang on. No one I know would do that. No one I know would do that. Well, it's an equal opportunity. Same thing that the last uh, comment made. All right. They're just trying to get attention, we think. They're just trying to get some help. All right. Oh, we we already talked about that. City suicide is a city problem. Well, apparently not. Okay. Once a person decides to die, there's nothing to do. Uh, if they want to day, we can, they want to die. We can stop them. Not true. Most people want to be stopped. Now, if somebody's serious about it, they're going to do it. I mean, if somebody's really serious about it, but. It's been rare, it happens, but it's been so rare that, that somebody was really mad that they got stopped and they did it again. Okay. So, uh, the, the final um, push here is to think about, well, what is the, what do we know about this group of people and about their environment? What do we know about them that kind of increases the risks that that they might get into trouble. And a lot of these, I betcha, are kind of common sense. But physical, environmental, you know, um, uh, access to firearms with no supervision. Um, Environmental, financial loss, blah, blah, blah. There's tons of things. Um, there's, There's known a phenomenon in high schools where somebody takes their life and then it's become sort of a cool thing inside, the little culture of one particular high school. Very depressing. But these are some of the environmental factors. Social, isolation, support. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about bullying at the very end, because they're talking right now about sexual orientation. But racism, all this stuff can, can come in and, and uh, start to increase the chances that somebody's going to do something um, uh, terrible. Help-seeking behavior. Certain cultural, religious beliefs. Yeah, how about this one? The belief that that uh, suicide is a noble resolution for a personal dilemma. Yeah, right. Um, So, and finally, the last one. I think it's just one more here. Yeah. this hopelessness Uh, and severe emotional trauma. When I say this, I mean, these are the kinds of things. We know this. This has been studied. Sexual abuse, living in a violent home, I used to work with, with uh, men who were arrested for domestic violence, great, great crowd. I did it for 10 years. I, just, I think I should be given a medal for working with that crowd for 10 years. It was, it, it was grueling. But you know, the interesting thing is that about eight out of 10 guys, I'd sit in a room every week with them, 15 guys, and usually about 80% of them witnessed domestic violence in their own home as a kid. And you would think, oh, well, I saw what, that, what my dad did to my mom. I'm going to never do that as a man. You would think that, gosh, I saw my mom bleed, went to the hospital, and thought, not, not true. You're witnessing a mom and a dad actually puts them at risk. Um, or witnessing violence in the community. Okay. But now, back to the biggest risk factor of all. Uh, Sorry. Having an alcohol or drug problem. I've any. I think I have a copy of it later. Um, there's a book. Oh, I'll get to it later. Let me save that for later. Second biggest risk factor for suicide completion. Having an alcohol or drug problem, and uh, and access to to the meds. Sorry. Biggest risk factor, you know where I'm going. A diagnosis of depression. So, these are the risk factors. Now the question is, well, what, what the heck do we do about this? So now, now we're getting down. You at a restaurant, uh, at a conference, talking to a kid, you, you sort of connect with them, and this is probably what you should. You'll start to hear. This is how a person who's moving towards suicide might be thinking, I shouldn't be here, I wish I could disappear. If a person did, like swallowed X amount of pills or you know, held their breath or whatever, would they die? Maybe if I die, my family would be better off. I don't see any reason, it'd be easier if I was dead, I wish I were dead, I'm gonna kill myself. Those are some of the, uh, the lines of thinking that you start to see. Now, what you wanna look for is whether or not uh, any other previous thoughts or attempts. All this stuff, bitterness, resentfulness, all of this stuff, uh, it's kind of if a, if, a, if a kid starts giving away like his favorite laptop and his, his bikes and everything, then you know that something might be up. Um, gosh, this is getting depressing, isn't it? I'm sorry, sorry about this, but we'll get on to the good stuff here. Um, not that you would necessarily know this about a, a club kid that you're working with, but risky behavior, school problems, you can just see generally, this thing is sort of moving towards something that's, that's not that's not good. So, here's where you guys come in. What can you do? I think you guys can do plenty it I mean, you, you guys might be the only people that these kids are talking to. I mean, you, might, you might be it. So... The, the direct approach is actually the best approach. You can ask them. If you thought it'd be easier to be dead. You're not going to cause somebody to be suicidal. You're going to cause them to maybe talk about it so that they won't be. Maybe your thoughts of dying crossed your mind, if you get a yes answer, and I can't imagine why you would want one, but if you would get a yes answer, you need to keep your panic levels low, You can just quote any one of these scriptures on the wall. They're all over the place, you know. Keep yourself calm, stay in the game, and keep asking questions. Um, You cannot make someone suicidal by asking about it. Most people are relieved when you pursue the specifics. Okay. So ask is the first thing. Then this is what they call a lethality assessment. And it's pretty common sense. But remember, people don't get upset when you ask them. You're not a doctor, okay? Good. Um, have they made any previous attempts? Big, big question. Like if they've never done it before, you would say, okay, well, got that risk factor. Uh, and, and made previous attempts. Do you have a plan? So if you say, if a kid says, oh, I don't want to be here anymore, and I said, well, how would, if you were going to leave the planet, how would you do it? And they say, well, I don't know. That's that's what you want to hear. Oh, he hasn't really thought it through. He's just having a moment, and he says, "Well, uh, yeah, my uh, 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 I could I could probably go to the um, hardware store and get a hose and some duct tape, and I could take it, you know, tape it, to, and I could put it in my car and turn on my car when my parents are tonight." Okay, that's a plan. Now you get a little worried, and it's if it's specific. He says, "Yeah, I was thinking about tonight." Uh, do they have access to means? Yeah, I got 40 bucks. I'm going over to the hardware to get the duct tape and blah, blah, blah. And tonight my parents aren't aren't going to be home. Call your area director. Call Brian. Yeah, let's put this on Brian. Um, call the police. Call something. Because that, you're getting to the point where this is getting real, real serious. Now, again, these are pretty rare incidences. I, you, this might, you might finish out the next couple of years of your ministry here. This might never happen to any of you. But Boy, if it does, we want you to be ready. What can you do? Call the parents, take them to the nearest ER, call the police. Now, the police are fabulous when it comes to this. Um, I don't know if you have any contact with people in your area, but the mommy Police, where I live, they are fabulous. We've had some stuff happen in my office every once in a while. This is sort of weird. They are right there, and they, they take care of it. And they will take a kid to the hospital if they need to go. Okay, so we're rolling here. I think. Ah, I love this. I've never heard anybody preach this part of Job ever. So I do. <laughs> now y- y- you remember. You, if you heard, when you think of oh, the friends of Job, what do you what do you think of? What, what comes to mind when somebody says oh, you're just being a friend of Job? <laughs> Yes, you hear that? You said, judgmental. Oh, why did not you just curse God and die? And it, it's really brutal. I mean, it sounds arrogant to me, uh, pompous. Like, well, hey, well, if you were sitting there scraping off, scabs off your body, are you know, going to be happy? What, what's wrong with you? This is before they, you know, before they open their yak. Look at this. This is, uh, this is earlier, so it's Job 2. Three friends, heard about his troubles, they set out from their homes, met together, loved to go sympathize, well, that was, and comfort him. That was the original plan. And in fact, they did exactly that. Saw from a distance, could hardly recognize him, wept aloud, tore their clothes. And in that culture, when you were... Sympathizing and connecting and identifying with someone, you would tear your garment. That's exactly what they did. Now, oh, yeah, I already, I was going to ask, how long did they do that? Can you imagine that? Think about this just for a second. A freaking week! You know, we get, when people are depressed, and bo- we get bored in about, you know, seven minutes. They sat with their friend for a week. What can we learn from that? Think about that. I think that is one of the most Christ-like things in the Old Testament that I've seen. And that kind of friendship... Now, they screwed it up when they opened their mouth. Everything (laughs) fell apart. But, man, did they hit it out of the park before there. And, and, you know, if you're sitting with a kid, and and one of the biggest insults I had, uh, somebody when I first, early in my career, a gal who happened to be one of the most... um, self-absorbed people that I may have ever met. say, said, well, is not counseling just listening to people? And I thought to myself, well, that's something you've never done. Uh, and number two, uh, that's a lot of work. Like if you spend time a couple hours with a kid, and you come home tired, well, why is that? You were just sitting having coffee at Starbucks. Why should you be tired? If you gave something from yourself. Exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's exactly what happened. And when I look at this, and I, I look at this in terms of a young life context, I think this is contact work. Now, most of the time, you know, you don't talk with kids that are scraping their—they got stuff growing on them—they're scraping it off of the pot. Most of the time, your kids are a little more upbeat. But what happens if they go south? What I'm praying mm-hmm. is that you would start right there, and when you open your mouth. You're not going to say the things that his friends did. You'll say something way, way more kind, and we're going to end on that. So any, any more comments about this? Has anybody noticed that before? I don't hear anybody preaching on this. About one hand. Okay, here we go. All right, what can I do? This is an old move. In fact, I think this this square is a... VCR, remember those things? that had kind of two wheels in the shape kind of like half inch thick. VCR. Has anybody ever seen this movie? Ordinary people? One! She's mommy. That's because she's a rock star. Anybody else see this movie? I'll tell you what, you can probably see it for free. You have to see this thing. This came out before you most of you were born. And it's basically the story about two brothers a senior and a sophomore, and the senior was a star. He was like Buzzy Myers, half of the football team, you know? And they were in a boating accident. And the star, strong, handsome brother, dies in the boating accident. And the scrawny guy, which is Timothy Hutton, he's not the so star anymore. So he's left in this family where the star is gone, and he's mommy's favorite and uh, it's a, and he ends up making an attempt on his life so they pick it up after he gets out of the hospital and he's trying to get on with his life he's depressed out of his mind and it's a story about who hit it out of the park with him and who completely blew it his mom was this whole judgmental okay well that's the end of that you know he, might, he, he was depressed he didn't have an appetite so she fixed a nice breakfast and he could hardly get out of bed. And she shamed him and pissed him with him and tried to send him off to school. So it was an interesting story of how his mom treated him, how his dad treated him, and how his friends treated him. And some of his friends did it out of the park. And they had a little romance going on with Elizabeth and It was nothing dirty, happy to report that. But it was so sweet, in fact. There, there was just this inter, interaction, and you could see her start to connect with this depressed kid. He was also in therapy; he was at at the time too. But I'll tell you, if 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 you have time, that would be something. I think a group we ought to get together and watch that if you want to understand depression, because it is acted um, perfectly and accurately in terms of depression. It's one of my favorite movies. Okay. We don't know, okay can time here. What do we got? How much time do we have? We're 10 after? What are... 10 minutes. What's that? Eight. Okay. Where, where did my other timekeeper go? Okay, eight minutes. Okay, what can, I, what can I do? You know, as a psychologist, you can imagine why this is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. <clears throat> this man in Luke 8 was out of his mind. Read that story. There's two accounts. I think there's another account in Mark. He was just, nobody knew what to do with it. He was breaking chains, and he was he had this exchange with Jesus, and the, and the coolest thing is the whole people, the people from town came out, and they saw him sitting, not running around, seven, ten minutes. I'll get more. <laughs> sitting, I'm sorry, where was it? Sitting, sitting, uh, clothed, which probably made it a lot less distracting. Talk to him. And in his right mind. Here's a a challenge. I'm sure you're going to not meet kids like that. But what a thrilling ministry to start out with kids who are bouncing off the walls. And then when you're done with them, when you're off to college, they're clothed, and they're sitting down, and they're in their right mind. I mean, what a thrilling ministry. So... um, I can remember at that my back to Buzzy Myers and, and, and that first Young Life meeting. So I, I go to this uh, uh, weekend and I was an idiot. Um, I was up gambling all night. You know? I didn't know to and and I was gambling and I was cheating. <laughs> it was even worse. I was cheating my friends out of money. That so was a real winner, you know. And we stayed up all night, and I would get up the next morning. We'd go to these meetings. I'd fall asleep in the balcony. I wake up and people were excited about something. And I'd go to the next meeting, so Saturday night cross talk, all that stuff. I wake up out of my slumber, and people are uh, upset, or I thought they were upset, but they seemed really happy. And a lot of mass rice into the life. Like well, how about that for an idea? So. I can remember leaving there and walking thinking, you know, I don't know what this young life thing is. But I know I'm missing out on something. Because I watched these kids the next year go from that to to being kinder. To being more attentive. To, I guess we would say, experiencing some of the fruits of the spirit. And that kind of evangelism can't be beat. So... um, I think I might be done here. Hang on. Oh, there's a couple things that I don't want you to do. Have you ever heard of this health and wealth gospel? Have you ever heard of this? Have you ever heard of it? Good. <laughs> because it's this idea that yes, Jesus is in your heart and you're going to be rich and healthy. It's complete crap, and if I can imagine preaching that gospel, that gospel, that's usually on TV late at night, so just go to bed early. Mm -hmm. That gospel to a depressed person could put them over the edge. Um, When you're working with a kid like this, and I think this is, is, you guys know this, leave the criticism and shame to the Pharisees and the friends of Job later on. Now, I think that, you know, when you're working with kids, the other thing we have to keep in mind is if they're going through something Remember, they're going from one kingdom to the next. This is a big transformation. This is a new being, a new person, you know, a new creation in Christ. So I think I, I thought just in closing here the stuff about First Peter. This is hey wait a second you know, as you start to move on this Christian life, there's going to be some bumps on the road. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. And or it might make it under the there. So uh, back to the. Uh, what not to do? If you're talking to a kid and he's saying, "I don't know if I'm going to keep myself here," you can't. You can't promise confidentiality. You can't do it. I can't do it. And 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 neither can you. I can't do it legally, but you can't do it ethically. And I always say, if you can stay away from empty reassurances, "Oh, you'll get over it. Everything will be fine." Bad move. Minimize the problem. All you need is a good night's sleep. That's it. You're just tired. Well, it might be, but chances are not. Just read your Bible more. You can fill in anything in that line. And please don't ever tell them in in the spirit of reverse psychology, yeah, go ahead and do it. Yeah, that might be a good good thing to do. That's a disaster. Um, So for all of you, I I would, you know, this is really, you know, some of you may go and finish out your ministry and never have this happen. I hope that's the case. But if it does, boy, don't go this alone. Call your, call your area director, call your regional, call anybody. Talk to the police. If you've got spouses, talk to them. Include somebody else in the conversation and just, uh, because it's really too much to, to go it alone. Okay, I'm going to finish with this. I have a, probably a minute left. Uh, This is just, I'm saying this because of Ohio and what's happened uh, recently. The things that are, uh, how many are familiar with Dreamland, this book? Must read, must read. It's how the heroin epidemic, I got three minutes, okay. It's how the heroin epidemic is coming up through the middle of Ohio and wrecking our state. I've never had a, 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 a suicide in my practice. I had one in the first 20 years. I've had three in the last two years, all opioid related. This is this is complete crap, and we have to do something about it. This is a great start. This is a great start, and it's it's very very troubling. This just happened. Anybody catch this? This was this was Monday. This was Monday here. I think East Toledo. I think, yeah. Kid, little Aaron Fuller, just had enough. He hung himself. Why? Heroin? Nope. Bullying. Bullying. Now, I, I realize we're here to preach the gospel and all that other stuff too, but one of the most innovative things that I have seen with respect to bullying is this guy named Jackson Katz. Jackson Katz. And I'm going to try to do this in 30 seconds. He goes into high school, and I think young people ought, ought to be a part of this. And he gets a core group of decent people to be sort of teach uh, some of them. Like, he, he would go to Buzzy Myers, Catherine the football team, and train them how to respond to bullying. On, here's my favorite one. The, and, and the way they do it, they'll say, okay, suppose you walk in, and there's a, there's a, this big guy he has got his girlfriend up against the locker, and he's yelling at her and pushing her up against the locker, and you're a little scrawny guy. What are you going to do? So they'll get a bunch of people in there, and, and they'll, they'll come and up with some ideas about what to do. You know the best one that I that I like? little skinny kid, you know what he said? I can fake a seizure. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? So he's laid out on the board and he fakes one. Anything to try to intervene in the bullying culture. Because next to the uh, opioid epidemic, the bullying is, is just taking lives. That's all I've got. We've probably got 30 seconds. Uh, any other, I, and I can talk to you later, or I'll be sticking around for now. And anything else that's kind of bugging the crap out of you or something you want me to ask me? It's such a happy topic. self am so entertaining. Yeah, I'm back. What was the book called for the I didn't hear the book? Oh, Dreamland. I could probably go back, but it would take me five minutes and my technical expert is not here yet. <laughs> or something that the kid could read. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I have my head that's Brian's fault. I <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. Anything you want to tell us about Brian? <laughs> <laughs> That'd
1: be great. Boy, that's been the hardest part of being Just Just kill him. Hey, we're really grateful for for Dan and for his expertise, but also um, just taking the time to share with us. So um, I'm sure he'll stick around for a couple yeah. minutes if you want to chat. Uh, a couple of things just from a Young Life standpoint to make sure you're aware of. Uh, one, uh, we have a crisis hotline. Uh, we are not, even after a 45-minute seminar done by a really educated person, uh, we are not um, necessarily psychologists or, or professionals um, So at all. So we have the crisis hotline available to you. Talk to your area director, they'll give you that number. Uh, we've got little red cards we can get that every one of our leaders probably should have um, to be able to deal with that. Also, just legally, you need to understand that we are mandatory reporters. And so if, if you get into a situation where some of the things we've discussed today happen or you hear about, uh, you have to, by law, report that. Uh, and that crisis hotline is a perfect place to do that. They are so good at walking us through I've called two or three times in the last year, every year pretty much I do, um, when kids are wrestling with this kind of stuff and we've gotta get it on record and go through proper channels. And so um, this, this will be available um, as a great reference, but also there's some things legally we have to do if we are Young Life leaders. So just make sure you're aware of that. Um, and, and just know that. So talk to your staff person about some of those things. At
0: the end, I have a lot of the links, phone numbers, organizations, places where
1: you have references, books, articles. At the end of the PowerPoint, so you can check that out. And, and another thing I do is not just Young Life, but I've got a couple friends that are school counselors. And so if I'm in a situation that's that I'm not sure, I call them. And they, and you know what? We're on the same team as them, and you need to understand they really care about the mental health of the kids in their school, and they will get you connected really well. They've happened for us a couple times, right, Nicole? Like the one at our school looks forward to our calls and, and wants to serve and help. And I think sometimes we think we're experts or, or something, or we think we're protecting kids by not saying anything, and the reality is we've got to do the right thing to keep kids safe. So. I think that no matter the price is 24 hours. So, like, if it's at night and you hear something, you don't have to wait till the next morning. um, Yep. Because, like, there's that person might be asleep or something like that. Yep. Um, Also, like, the police take that stuff really seriously. Even, like, Snapchat, if you see something on there and it's gone, like, the police can figure out, like, where that was sent from. Um, and figure out where it was sent, who's from. Um, Good. They have the means to do all that stuff. Good point. Thanks, man. What were you going to say, Um...
0: Like, professionally, how would you, like how should we respond if a student would come to us and say, like, I need to talk to you about this and like, you can't tell anyone? And like, to keep
1: that trust with the student, but also be like, if you tell me like something you yeah, have The, to tell
0: the question was, if the student asks, you know, tries to get you to commit to confidentiality, before they, you kind of know where they're going, they say, well, I'm not going to tell you. It, 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 you. You simply cannot make Because they could, you can't. You you can't threaten to say, well, you know. And I would assume I would make a conservative error and say, hey, we need to. If you can't tell me, I have an idea what it is, and so I'm going to make a call. It's tough. It's tough. But the the results of doing nothing are completely disastrous. Listen, as you're getting ready to leave here, I just have a a quote from Malcolm Mugridge It's a two-parter. But the first part was about all. He was a famous guy and. Successful guy, and blah blah blah. But he ended his career talking about his own walk with God. <clears throat> and without that, we're, wasting time. we're completely wasting it. So, God bless you all. Thanks for showing up and enduring this. And uh, maybe I'll see you guys again.